Welcome, friends and fiends. This is your host, film critic and comedian, Nate Wyckoff. And I'm here to tell you about an exciting giveaway that Warner Brothers Discovery and Colton Classic Films LLC has put together to build your 4K Ultra HD film collection on digital. We are giving away four codes which contain digital 4K Ultra HD versions of Rebel Without a Cause, Maltese Falcon, and Cool Hand Luke. These are films that you absolutely must know as a film buff. You can get this code by being one of the lucky four people we pull from our newsletter list. So go to coltonclassicfilms.com slash newsletter and give us your email and your name and we'll sign you up for the newsletter and we will enter you in the competition. That's all you got to do. So please go ahead and do that. The contest ends on April 30th and we will send out the winning codes on May 1st. Thank you so much for being a listener. And here's your episode of Colton Classic Films Podcast. Welcome to Colton Classic. <laughs> Welcome, friends and fiends, to a brand new holiday episode of Colton Classic Podcast. This is the podcast where we generally talk about two thematically linked films, one mainstream and one cult. But we buck that trend during uh, the month of December to bring you special episodes focusing on off-the-beaten-path holiday movies i'm very excited as always to be here i'm your host comedian and film critic nate wyckoff and with me i have good old timers to the pod tad mastriani how you doing tad feel like you did this despite me and with us as well jeff tucker how are you doing jeff oh uh my my beard is ungroomed not out of laziness but because i wanted to connect with the uh, the villain of this story the villain i i i have there's a lot to talk about with the villain of this movie um we are uh, of course talking about the sort of rediscovered uh cult favorite deadly games dial code santa claus um the original title it's french film being a uh, 36.15 code pair noel uh or some iteration of that this movie has recently been re-released uh, in glorious 4K transfer uh, by Vinegar Syndrome. They did a really beautiful job bringing this 1989 film uh, to our high-def TV screens. Um, this is this is a really strange film, uh, and I think there's it's actually fairly well received uh, for cult communities. But I feel like for half of it people would be surprised that it isn't well known in the states and then for the other half of it they would be oh i see why this isn't known in the states uh it's a really weird genre mashup and um we'll get into it there's a lot of rumors floating around about this film and whether it influenced other films and stuff as well uh to start i'm going to give a quick breakdown of the plot uh as i said it's a french film uh it was released in 1989 and 1990 in the u.s it is about a young boy of a rich uh, mother. He lives with his uh, aged and physically um, partially disabled grandfather, and they have a big mansion. His mother owns a store, a shopping store, and she's a workaholic, so she's gone on Christmas Day, which apparently in France is a big shopping day. Of course, here, things in the U.S., stateside, things are shut down on Christmas for the most part, but Apparently, it's a big shopping day. So she's gone all day. And this boy who has tons of toys in this giant mansion that also has secret passages and stuff, it's in uh, passed down through his dad's family. He plays these war games and various games uh, with his dog, uh, JR, and his grandpa. And uh, unfortunately, 
one of the Santa Claus people that his mother hired at her store is uh, he's he's a madman, uh, pretty much. He wants to be with children, but then when they scorn him, he uh, goes crazy and on killing sprees. So he gets fired for slapping a young girl after she says, which, by the way, this young girl deserves it. Who? So he's dressed as Santa. He's being very nice to her. She tells him his, uh, her name. And then she looks at him and says, I don't like your face. You're not Santa Claus. And he slaps her. And then she's upset, which I don't know much about. Um, you know, shout out to our French listeners. Uh, but I don't know much about French child culture. But if that's the norm, you might get slapped here in the States, too. That's a pretty <laughs> rude thing to say, especially in this particular case, when the mother has left the child specifically with Santa to go shop for an hour so or, or whatever anyway he gets fired uh and then to get back at boss lady he sneaks aboard the shipment of toys she's sending uh to the mansion for her son kills the caretakers and then goes on a rampage uh through the house while uh, the young boy tommy has to uh, defend his grandfather and and try and get rid of this guy it sounds like all sorts of different movies and it is actually all sorts of different movies. Um, if it feels, if, if at least in my opinion, um, the first half of this movie is, I thought a well-written sort of family dramedy. Like it's kind of heartwarming. Like there's lots of great dialogue between um, Thomas and his mom and his grandfather. And he has these fun moments with his uh, very, very forgiving dog um and then like it really switches gears uh once the killer is in the house um and it becomes quite terrifying and i actually found there were some scenes of genuine tension in this which to be honest i'm not used to seeing that uh with a lot of the films we watch here on cult and classic podcasts usually i can kind of sneer and smirk and just enjoy whatever's playing across on screen but in this one there were some moments where i was like oh like, or what's going to happen? We'll talk about that. So, uh, Tad, I think you have a different view on this film than I do. Um, but let's just get into what did you expect going into Deadly Games? And what did you come out with? As usual, um, I don't do my research beforehand because I like to torture myself and get surprised every time Nate sends me a movie. Um, Nathan knows that I am not a fan of French cinema and I can speak to that authoritatively because I've watched a lot of it and this was one of those movies where Nathan did you do this on purpose that's why I was like are you I didn't I but didn't? here's the thing Tad thinks I remember these all I remember is that he loves Les Samurai I forget until every time he tells me over and over that he hates French cinema um I do is, which I is of course like funny because I love it. But anyway, I would like to think that La Samurai is kind of an exception to the rule because there's always exceptions. But um, do you, does anyone remember what I said about the science of sleep, where it's almost like a trademark of French cinema to kind of give you the wrong impression about what a movie's actually about? Where <laughs> that is, it, that is it, fair. Like, it lures you in, and then it, it's that. And I and I did some research just to see if this was a French thing, when in reality, what I was actually looking for was German philosophy, you know, most of the nihilistic, like very heavy philosophy actually came out of Germany. Now, French was definitely, uh, the France was definitely guilty of this as well. But um, 
I expected a nice Christmas family movie that sort of had some hijinks because you compared it to Home Alone. What I found was it's another goddamn horror movie and a French film that has absolutely no problem making you feel miserable throughout the entire movie because why not? <laughs> why, why would you actually have some levity? Why would you actually have some real comedy? Why don't we throw in pet murder? Why don't we throw in child abuse? Why not throw in some potential pedophilia while we're at it? Just, just throw it all in. Fucking whatever. So yeah, <laughs> so so interesting. I I I. Whenever we have scenes with creepy adults and children, we do wonder about the pedophilia. I actually don't think it was intended in this film. Um, I think that they f fairly. It's weird because skirted the line a little bit. He's like yeah. fondling her face. Let's talk about so so before we get to Jeff because there's a lot to talk about. Um, the the villain of the film is uh like I said he's a madman. And the reason I say that is because he's actually he's 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 clearly damaged in the movie his character is we're not a hundred percent sure uh if like what his his problem is but we know that he does not think like a normal person um he's actually a really excellent actor patrick florsheim who passed away in 2016 but worked both with uh the director of deadly games Rene manzor uh and many other people throughout his entire career. Uh, very, very talented and very upsetting in this role. Um, and he really, it, it, the scene that you're talking about, Tad, in particular, is when he slaps the young girl. Um, he has this moment where, uh, you know, he's like, what's your name? And it's the first time we've really seen him, second time maybe we've seen him speak. And yeah, and she gets on his lap, says Marion, and then he caresses her face for an uncomfortably long time in a strange way. I feel like it's possible that there's some pedophilia, like, but really what I was thinking in my head is I'm like, if this were American film in the from the 40s, we would think this is a sweet Santa moment. Right. But because we are now more aware of the dangers that children face from uh, adults um, because we're awful and the world is a nightmare. Uh, we, to quote Brooklyn Nine-Nine, <laughs> it has a potential different implication. Um, but he, this actor, he has this look thing where you don't always, it, he doesn't let the event that's gonna come, the thing that he's going to act out show in his expression. He has a very blank expression most of the time. And when, and and the few times it breaks, it's either a smile, which is unsettling because it doesn't always match his actions, or it's like this uh, maniacal frown. It's just very strange. He mo spends most of the time looking kind of just crazed, right? Like no expression in the mouth, but wild eyes. And that's something that I think we as people understand innately is like the clue that, oh, this person, you know, they're, they're opening their eyes a little wider than most people. You know, they're a little more focused on whatever they're looking at than most people they're somehow they're not going to communicate uh, or act the way we expect them to. It's a possibility. And that's a broad phrase or a broad definition of, of someone who's a little off, but he does it really well in this movie. But let's jump to Jeff here. Jeff, what were you expecting from Deadly Games, Dial Code Santa Claus uh, versus what did you come out with? Uh, well, I mean, I didn't do much research. Uh, you know, you mentioned that it was similar to Home Alone and maybe it was inspired. I think there may maybe even like an, a lawsuit involved somewhere in here. Um, but the, really like saying like, oh, I like Home Alone. You should watch this film would be a little bit like, oh, hey, I hear you like dessert. 
you know, I got this place and you show up and it's like a, you know, a porterhouse steak, you know, it's like they, the story's the same, but the films couldn't be different or like, you know, they're yeah. just, they're sure. almost polar opposites. The tone is, 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 is so, so off. Um, I, I think like the, um, like, you know, like the, I think the best scene of this film is actually when the, the villain is like spray painting his face. Yes. Like his, the, his, his hair. Cause like, I mean, if you actually like break down this character and like all of his little scenes leading up to that, he's like, he clearly has some sort of connection with kids and whether it's like an innocent, like, you know, like he wants to play with kids at first, but is constantly being rejected. Um, you know, like, you know, you know, getting to that point where like you start touching the kid's face and it's like, okay, is this an innocent thing or is it, you know, a darker thing? And then he becomes a murderer. So he has this weird arc where he he's uh, this weird layered character. Mm -hmm. uh, but I love that scene because it's like, uh, clearly he wants to be like Santa Claus. Like that's like, um, and like he gets mad at the kid um because she's like you're not santa claus um, right and so then he has this outburst which then causes him to lose his job so like the moment where he's like spray painting his face he has like kind of this like manic kind of like energy where he's like he does these he feels, giggles sometimes yeah that are just it's, really unsettling yeah it's like he's like i'm becoming you know this character that's that's in my head that's uh you know i have like some sort of unhealthy connection with it because like kids love santa claus mm -hmm. so now they're gonna love me you know what i mean and you know obviously that that's <laughs> that's not the case uh and he has some other damage that then um you know causes him to you know go when out we, violently yeah when we say madman or crazy person um uh, in in a movie like this like oh a crazy killer like um, and I'm not even going to go into the, the argument of whether or not we should use the term crazy. Um, personally, uh, I, I take mood stabilizers uh, just for my life. I'm just going to say I don't really find an offense with the term crazy. I also have never been called crazy in that context. Um, <clears throat> I think probably crazy is a term we should be able to use with the understanding that we should never speak to a person uh, unless they're brandishing a weapon at us and maybe say crazy um, because we don't want to single anyone out who has some sort of mental disorder. The vast majority of people with severe mental disorders are the victims of crime, not the perpetrators. However, those people that we normally talk about who are a crazy killer in movies, they're very one note, right? Their purpose is to kill. Um, we don't really, they, we're not given a lot of opportunity to either empathize with them and they, as you said, Jeff, they're not given a lot of depth. This character, he is a true madman in that we don't know exactly what he's going to do because any given moment, we're not 100% sure what his intentions and his goals are. Um, so, and at first, the opening scene of the film is actually him, right? He, uh, there's a bunch of kids, it's a new snowfall and they're playing um, uh, snowball fights across the street and then he sees it and he gets happy and he goes and starts to play with them and then they're like hey you're not one of our gang and then they slowly kind of move off and he's left alone and then and we see right away that he's an outsider character even there's even a woman in the window sort of glaring at him um, from from like the street and 
then we get to, you know, the kid and his household life and everything, and everything's kind of hunky-dory uh, for the most part. Yes, he misses his mom. Yes, his dad is gone. And he's left with his grandpa, so he's left to his own devices. But there's worse things than to be a lashkey kid from what appears to be a millionaire family. However, we get this crazy guy who we get the impl- we just get snippets like um, Thomas, the young boy, is also kind of a computer and engineering whiz, right? Um, and so he's he's on some sort of early you know chat board uh post board on the internet on his computer and he's trying to prove to his friend that santa's real and he reaches out to santa somebody responds wants his address and we see that it's this crazy guy from like a public access computer which i don't know if they really had those or not it's possible but i don't see it anyway and when he runs out of time on it he starts pounding and beating on it and so we think he's very limited mental capacity. He seems childlike, but maybe fits parts of rage. But then when he sees that um, Thomas's mother's store, this big multi-level shopping center, is having like a holiday thing, he goes in and asks, very adult-like, if they still need Santa Clauses, he wants a job. And that's not the kind of communication that a kid would give, right? Mm-hmm. So we're, we're already shown, oh, this guy is different than we think he's not just this or just that um and that really plays into it and then we get the scene after he's presumably killed several people to break into this this complex uh where thomas lives we see him spray and it's actually it's a window mist you know that stuff they spray on windows to make it look like frost which by the way it must be toxic especially in 1980 <laughs> something it super had to be toxic i was um, kind of wondering what they were actually using there it, it, yeah. it works too well it covers his beard too well so you know it's not healthy there's, there's um, something wrong with that story. yeah um but it, it. it's an amazing effect and of course when he goes from gray, from black to um just full gray white it, he does look like just a deranged santa claus um I want to jump back to because I think he does a fantastic job and I want to get into some of the things that happen. Um, but I want to jump to what Tad mentioned, the pet murder, because this is one of my triggers. I hate when dogs die. And I literally movies. thought of you when that happened. I, I like, hate it so much. Um, and I but you kind of I mean, oftentimes, especially being a cult film buff, it's kind of typical, right? We often see a pet in a movie because we know it's a catalyst. Um, either it's a mistake, and so they have the oh shit cat in the window moment, right? Where they can have anything happening off screen and just show a cat in the window. Uh, or more often, it is some sort of trigger to show, oh, the bad guy's really bad because he killed this dog. Or, oh, this we need a turning point moment for the hero um, and we don't want to kill their relative, so we'll kill a pet. The actual thing about this movie is that it's it's really effective in this movie um you know i mean people talk about john wick how his dog is killed early in the movie and it's very depressing well it is very depressing we don't actually see the death on screen in this we actually get a very well-directed shot of uh the little boy watching from under a table trying to catch santa claus we see the killer come down the chimney the boy thinks it's santa claus and then his dog runs up and starts attacking his jacket at which point the uh the killer uh struggles grabs a cake knife off the counter and stabs the dog and we get a very realistic i guess it's not even realistic for a television show or a movie it is a realistic seeming shot we don't usually see the death blow 
to an animal on screen because obviously most films do not kill animals. This film did not kill an animal. It is not a real death scene. There is a scene where they clearly doped up the dog and carried him around. Um, but uh, however, it's, it's an effective moment. And the acting from uh, Thomas is, is very strong. He instantly covers his mouth and starts to sob. Uh, he's played by Alan Lalane, who uh, just as a note, worked with this director on the director's previous film, this first film, but also is now a senior special effects uh, lead for mm -hmm. Hollywood films, worked on uh, James Gunn's 2021 Suicide Squad, worked on James Cameron's Avatar, very high profile special effects work. So kudos to that. But I thought uh, Elaine did a great job in this movie for having to carry half the movie uh, by himself at this age was really tremendous and he rocks this super awesome 80s mullet like the most Joan Jett mullet that I've ever seen on a child <laughs> actor uh anyway that scene is hard and but it leads to one of my favorite lines of of any movie I've seen this year I think um and I'm gonna I'm just paraphrasing here so it's not accurate but it it's the house is hooked up in the intercom and he's and thomas speaks to the killer at one point and he says i just wanted to see you but you killed my dog you tried to kill my grandpa and you hurt me i'm gonna make you wish you never set foot in my house and it's just it was just a great moment because that was the big turning point right when we start to see instead of just running thomas starts doing all these little home alone tricks to um brutalize this home invader um you say home alone this predates that so it does by like yeah, a year yeah, yeah. um so the, as you said jeff there is some controversy there's a lot of yeah. claims that this inspired um uh john hughes script for home alone honestly i'm not sure that's true um the reason it's possible certainly possible the reason i wonder is because this film, while the beginning does have a very Christmas movie vibe with getting to know the family and seeing the dynamics and seeing a kid play kid games, it more resembles like, uh, this film has more in common with Rambo than it does with, um, with Home Alone. And the Rambo parallel is actually quite obvious. In fact, we have Thomas dressed up like Rambo for a huge chunk of the movie. Um, you know, in, in the first Ram, in Rambo First Blood, we get uh, Rambo coming back, you know, just traveling across the States after Vietnam. And he's sort of harassed by the local police. He just wants to be left alone. So then he runs into the forest and sets a bunch of traps while people keep trying to come bother him. Uh, and then it ends with a really crying breakdown scene, which is much what this film ends with as well. Uh, so it's sort of like the beginning is a nice Christmas story. And then the second half is, um, Ted, you said horror, and it's certainly got horror elements, but I think this really falls, if we're going to parse it out to genre, this is a thriller movie. It is absolutely like an Ashley Judd pick, right? Like there is a killer and there is someone trying to defeat and escape the killer. And there are other people trying to get there to help, but there are constant roadblocks to get there and help. And it really is approached that way because they have a, they do a great job of, as I said before, tension. I want to talk about one of these tension moments um where it's it's the old adage for writers you know like if you want to make your story more engaging um uh, put your hero up a tree 
and then throw rocks at him, right? Like it can never be too bad for the hero, for the audience, because it moves it along and we have to see how they get out of it or et cetera. This is one of those cases because there's some great moments, like they know the killer's in the house, the boy and his grandpa, uh, the grandpa can't see very well, so he can't protect himself. So the boy says you have to hide, and he ends up putting him in the suit of armor in the entryway, which is really cute, actually. I thought that that was a, a nice touch. But then when Thomas is making these killer gadgets, one of them is a shrapnel bomb with marbles and gunpowder made in a toy grenade that he straps to the back of a self-propelled choo-choo train, like a wind-up toy. And that moment was tense for me. I, you know that something's going to happen in this vein, but it just, it still had the tension. He sends it to the crazy guy. The crazy guy sees it, has this childlike moment where he's kind of amazed by it, picks it up. It doesn't ignite, winds it back up, sends it back to Thomas, at which point you're like, oh, okay, it's going to go to Thomas. What's he going to do? Is he going to have to run away from it? And then it goes past Thomas. And we realize that it's making a direct beeline towards the grandpa who's stuck in the suit of armor and i'm like that was sort of a masterclass moment in plotting where you're like oh it we expect this to up the ante but then they up it again in a way that was believable to an extent i mean if we can believe that this boy is doing this and making this device we can believe that it's going to go past him to the grandfather so that was one of those things where i was like wow that's that's an escalation from the level that i expected from this movie going in um, there, there was just, and the, and the grandfather is diabetic. He needs insulin. So at some point the boy has to go out and get insulin. And then we get sort of a shining Stanley Kubrick vibe when he's going from the guest house to, uh, through the trees to the, the main house, um, and, and the killers out there. And then we also, the tension moment, it's a very classic kind of moment, but when Thomas is coming back, he can drive by the way, which is pretty great. Cause he's kind of a mechanical genius. And he takes his grandfather on a joyride early on. Well, he takes the police car from the police officer that's been killed by the crazy guy from the guest house to try and bring the insulin back. And then he's like calling the cops on the comm and then the killer's in the back seat. It's such a classic moment from thriller movies all the way back to Hitchcock and, and before. Yet I just wasn't expecting it because the plot was moving at that point at a brisk pace. That said, the way that I could tell that this was not an American movie, even though it actually looks quite American, the production is clearly very inspired by American cinema rather than a lot of, you know, any strong uh, European inclinations, is the pacing was sometimes different than what I would expect from, say, a John Hughes movie. Did anybody else notice that? There were a lot of shots where we got, the cinematography is quite excellent, but we got long lingering looks at things. For example, Jeff, the scene where he's spray painting himself, why it works effectively, but it was more akin to, um, you know, Joaquin Phoenix in the Joker than it was. Um, it was long. You know, it was very it long. It just kept going. We yeah. were set, we it were felt, forced to watch it. Yeah, but I think it was good though. Like it yeah. was just one of those things where you're like, okay, we got the idea, they're going to cut. And it's just like, they kept with it and they kept kind of like, it kept kind of evolving a little bit because he kind of, he got like a little bit more and more manic as it mm -hmm. like kind of went on, um, which I don't know. I, I, I thought that was a good scene. Like, you know, there's also some kind of more like artsy scenes where he's, he's in front of the car between like the, um, when um, uh, 
they get Thomas's character. Yeah. yeah, Thomas gets Grandpa in the car, and they're gonna like try and get out of there. And uh, you know, crazy Santa Claus is standing there, and there's like he's like backlit. Mm-hmm. He's kind of has he almost has like a like a like a Jesus kind of glowy <clears throat> yeah kind of like thing, but it looks really good. Um, yeah, I mean, there's like the the film is is really filled with a lot of those kind of um, like types of visuals there's a couple that are not very good like i don't know it's like he's like falling off the roof and there's like this weird shadow effect that they use it's literally hand drawn yeah yeah Yeah. there's (laughs) his one point where thomas is on the roof and he's slides and he hangs from like the uh you know the gutter or something and it pans it's panned way out and we see this little kicking figure and it's a little too manic and it's a hand drawn on the negative uh or or on the film stock yeah um you know a limitation of the time perhaps whatever I can see, I can see deciding to do that because it is a visual flair. It just didn't work as well as many of the others. Yeah. Um, the scene. But I mean, I, like, yeah, like overall, like I, I, the like the pacing that you're talking about, like it, mm. it, it, it is fast in some places and like really kind of slows down. Like, like in that moment, I was talking about where like he's backlit. Like, you know, they take like something that's like really tense and like fast. And then they spend a lot of time on it. Like, yeah, like, you know, he's like kind of slowly approaching the car with this kind of like backlight because, like, you know, they got like the, the imagery that they were going for and they mm-hmm. were going to just like do it in one frame. So like, you, yes, it lingers in that moment for a really long time. So um, they really draw things out, um, which I think works good in some cases. Yes. And, and, and I, I think the problem with this film is like those types of things are visually interesting for an adult um and then like all of the like as you described like the home alone tricks i think more capture the imagination of a kid um let's talk about those for a minute because when i was first off because this film is so eclipsed by home alone and is so frequently referenced in cult communities as the messed up home alone um i expected them to make a larger part of the film but what was fascinating is that there there are a couple of home alone-ish moments and they're like sandwiched together in an almost silent montage with a soundtrack playing over it. Yeah. Um, and that was a very interesting choice because I think the first one is a couple of crossbows fire um, like toy darts into the guy's neck on each side, like Frankenstein bolts, that's upsetting. Then he's lit on fire on um, the dog JR's grave, which is... Uh, you would think troubling and then um and i forget what the oh and the other one is it fails it's the shrapnel grenade and it's the sort of it was weird because i feel like for for me off that was the moment we're waiting for right at first we're waiting for this like oh the kid finally fights back and this is where he gets the one up on the dangerous villain but actually it's downplayed by the fact that it's a montage and we don't hear the villain scream. We don't see him actually very affected by these because as soon as they happen, then they they cut to the next scene. And it's not that they didn't have the budget or something because we see a, a stunt person in front of flames. We see the darts go into the net. Um, and so it was fascinating to me that that was how Renee chose to portray those moments. And they're very small. And then we get back to what the movie really is, right? Which is a thriller um it was different i i wasn't sure what to think about that um i i feel like it was it was a conscious decision i just don't totally know why and if people are interested which by the way i 
highly recommend checking out this movie because as divisive as it might be on this podcast, it's really well produced. And it's just, it's just when somebody spends a lot of energy and effort and love and blood and sweat and tears to make something that's really sort of genre defying, um, it's worth watching because you're not going to find a lot of other films of this quality of this nature. Um, but that's also to say that Vinegar Syndrome did a great job and there's a ton of interesting extras on that. So check it out. Um, right now it's only available in a 4K package that does also come with the Blu-ray uh, transfer as well. So uh, Tad, let's, let's go to you on this one. One thing that you mentioned the bleak ending. And the thing is, is the movie I didn't find particularly bleak until until the ending because we kind of assume that everything will be redeemed by like the villain dies and is and then the boy is saved um and what actually happens is yes that occurs but when the mother runs into the house the grandfather spoiler alert this is not a spoiler this movie is batshit so just watch this movie if if you if you're interested um but the the killer is shot a final time by the grandfather who has finally gotten his insulin and uh, which is a nice moment because the grandfather is he's an invalid and yet he kind of gets this moment to to do what he needs to do to protect his grandson but the mother runs in and thomas is catatonic staring with tears having gone down his cheeks at dead santa at santa's feet and the mother like it takes quite a like a minute uh for of, of actual time for his mother to sort of bring him around to where he actually even acknowledges that she's there at which point his he said it's my fault i wanted to see santa because she had told him that if he sees santa santa turns into an ogre and gets angry and um and so like we get this instead of you know instead of this sort of like victory the child runs up hugs the parents like mom dad i did it or i was so scared we get this like disturbingly realistic moment of uh of ptsd from this you know uh this trauma moment from this child and that's what we're left with until merry christmas by bonnie tyler starts to play and now if, if that ring, if the name Bonnie Tyler rings a bell and you're not already aware, it's because she is one of the greatest 80s legends of all time because she's the voice of Total Eclipse of the Heart, uh, as well as uh, uh, holding out for a hero. And uh, she did the best or simply the best before Tina Turner. So iconic voice. And she sings what is a very odd Christmas song. I think there's a line in it about hi Jesus, won't you stay a while? Something crazy like that. Uh, but anyway, that song plays in English um, and this is in the French cut. Uh, and so it's just a very weird moment. <laughs> Nathan, this is what I expect from French cinema. Like, as, like I should have known better going into it when I, by the way, um, I had a technical difficulty trying to watch this movie because as it turns out, um, I had tried to play this transfer in two different media players that would not load the subtitles. So I was like, oh, it's challenge mode. I'm just going to watch the entire movie in French. And then it's like, try it in VLC. So I did and subtitles showed up um, because you told me the dialogue was pretty good and it's a well-written film. Yes. I agree with a lot of what you're saying. <laughs> the problem is, is that I have a very heavy bias against French cinema for the fact that just what you described is 
I spent the first 20 minutes of this movie going, oh, you know what? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this one's going to be the one that, oh. <laughs> and then, no, it does exactly what I expected to do. The movie ends with no, ab absolutely no up upside, no hope, no nothing, just a traumatized child who had to endure a death of a pet and almost um, having a, another family member die, plus having to watch a home invader get shot to death right in front of him. Uh, which conversely, uh, conversely, his mom will probably be home more now, and she met her new boyfriend. Yeah, so she's a fantastic mother, I gotta say. Oh, the mother, so and the mother, she is a um, fantastic actress, very, very excellent history, uh, specifically in European and specifically in French cinema. Bridget Fossey, um, she was a child actor uh, and then came back to a young adult, lots, tons and tons of excellent. Uh, movies, Truffaut films, the whole deal. Uh, <clears throat> she's great. Um, but let's talk about the the thing that we haven't talked about yet, which is one of the things that actually really bothered me about this movie is I felt like it didn't play enough with the set pieces because some mm -hmm. of the sets were absolutely gorgeous. And this whole yeah. idea of a secret chamber in this gigantic mansion where this kid has um, the toys from every member of his family stretching back generation side yeah yeah it was a really cool idea the problem is is that it does almost nothing with it and sure. i kept waiting for a payoff to it and it never it happened resolved. it reminded me because because the more you talked about it i was thinking about terror vision watching this film because it had sort of that surrealistic like mm -hmm. this is a huge house and there's just a bunch of junk in it but in terror vision the that was just kind of the backdrop and part of the point is to just make you go that's kind of fucking weird and you don't have to think too much about it. But with this, it kind of draws your attention in and forces you to think about it. And then it does nothing with it. And I hate that about cinema sometimes when someone has an idea, they throw it up on screen and then you go, what was the point of that? Because honestly, we've talked about this movie for how long now? And it didn't really have any bearing on the plot or the development of the characters whatsoever. In fact, barely any of the characters got developed. They basically had some bits to either make you like them or not like them a little bit more. Like the mom's little aside thing didn't make me like her anymore. It kind of made me dislike her. So the, what was yeah, the deal? It's, it's interesting because I feel like I'm always torn on this idea that the sort of um, hanging thread moment, because in, in American cinema in particular, we do adhere, I think, too much to the have to has to be tied into a bow in a box situation where everything has to wrap up and make sense. At the same time, there does seem to be a way where you can satisfyingly have extra things that we don't always follow all the way back to their inception uh, or follow through to their completion and have them still um, add interest. And I think of I think Robert Rodriguez is sort of an excellent example of doing this well. I think in the Mariachi series, he constantly has side characters that have a little bit of personality, a little bit of action, a little bit of backstory, um, any number of those things. Yet we don't totally know everything about them. Um, he, I mean, he loves to introduce a character, give them a really great scene, and then have them die in the next scene. Yeah. Yeah. And yet, and Tarantino does a similar thing often. And it's just, it's sort of, it's, I like it, but then there are moments where you, if you, if you do something a little too much or too little, I feel like then you get what you're talking about, which is the why I don't, I, I needed more. Um, and part of it, I think is the, like you said, I wanted more. If you make us want it too much, 
we lose sight of whatever's next. And we're thinking about this big empty soundstage that they've thrown a bunch of creepy toys in with a rope bridge across. Cause that's essentially what this, what this was. And Jeff, you mentioned it. It's, it's a, it's not a plot point. It's a hallway. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, and it is true. Um, and, and I don't know, like it is fascinating. Uh, and again, I haven't, been able to dig deep through all the special features of deadly games and there are some interesting featurettes on this so perhaps they address why that was interesting because it really is a fascinating idea you know that this uh multi-generational family home has a secret place that only the men know about where all of their toys are put for the next generation that's a cool idea um the entire movie could have been about that and you are expecting it to have more to do with that but um i i think there's even more i think there it seems to be about the visual uniqueness of it. It, it. it makes a difference between just long halls of parquet floors and suits of armor and tapestries, right? That we expect in these mansions. Um, and the, the reason I say that is because we get similar sort of views of the mansion itself, which is straight up a model, but it's a really impressive model. Um, and we get that a lot. And it adds this sort of, as you said, surreal vibe um and it just makes it a really interesting film to look at but i can see what you're saying with the i also expected more out of the hallway with all the toys because we get that backstory right if he just said oh it's just my my secret room with me and dad we would have just known that his dad he was close to his dad and we know that he's feeling left alone from his mom but then you add in that crazy bit about about it having toys from every generation of men and then his kids are going to have it someday like that's I'm like, oh, is this going to come up again? Oh, no, it's totally not going to come up. Again. And then, yeah, it's just it's I don't want to say it's wasted, but I felt like they could have structured and they could. Yeah, they could have structured more of the movie around it and to put mm -hmm. that much effort into it to sure. almost waste it. It sucks because they could have taken out some of the useless scenes with the like some of the traps weren't necessary. Some of the tension went on mm -hmm. a little bit too long. You could have squeak in three four more minutes to just kind of tie that all together mm -hmm. and i feel like it would have been a more solid film and maybe uh after 35 minutes in where basically i checked out and was just drifting through it the rest of the time because it was ruined for me um i could have appreciated it more and it's it's this is not a movie i'm going to revisit it's not going to be one well and i i think you know the movie is an hour and 32 minutes it feels I don't think it's it, it doesn't feel particularly long, but because of the pacing oddities that we've discussed, it it does have these moments. There's there's a moment where um, Thomas is running from he's trying to get to the only working phone in the house, and then the 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 madman has beat him there and disabled the phone. And so Thomas goes out the window to try and get to a different window. And we get like a really long scene of him crying for his mother just on this frigid, freezing cold roof. And the only if there was a different intent it's possible like i was thinking was this supposed to be a turning point for him because then he stops crying and he starts doing something but it it doesn't play out quite that way it actually feels more like it really is just supposed to tell us as the audience this is now bleak like this is now the point of no return where this would no longer be a film of joy and I don't know if that's intentional or not, but that's how it plays. And it's one of those moments where we're left to sit with something long enough. Like, as Jeff said, that scene where uh, uh, Florsham, you know, spray paints his, his facial hair. It, it's just, we're left long enough that it's unsettling. And again, 
these aren't bad scenes. They're directed quite well. Uh, but I don't always, the intent becomes something that I just don't have a name for. Um, like you said, Tad, actually the Germans probably do have a name for several of these uh, sort of weird emotional shifts that I'm not aware of. It's, I feel like if, because I've watched enough European cinema and it happens so often and it doesn't, it's not even limited to French cinema. I think it's just a cultural thing that me as an American doesn't understand because I remember watching Life is Beautiful and I heard it was an amazing film. And unfortunately it does the exact same thing where it starts off sort of whimsical and then, oh my God, it's the most fucking depressing movie of all time. Yes. And, and it, it, yeah, I know it was a very bleak and absolutely brutal time in history. I get it. I absolutely get it. And mm. it, these movies need to drill it into my head. Like, yeah, I, I don't need to see this over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and it's interesting because thinking I had this movie described to me before it was released as, um, as uh, home alone meets um, silent night, deadly night, the, the first of the well-known cult, you know, killer deranged santa claus escaped mental patient kind of setup movies and i think the silent night deadly night is closer but for home alone there's there's more character development in this movie than in home alone in the beginning um and it's a little more realistic in the setup of the family because even though it's unrealistic to me that there's a boy left alone with a millionaire mom who's a workaholic and a dead dad and a crazy and and like a half blind off grandpa i mean sure it can happen but it's their interpersonal communication is much more accurate. Like the mom does have some funny lines. Like when, when it, it, the first scene with Thomas, he wakes up in his like crazy bedroom and he gets all Ramboed out. And then he sets JR the dog as sort of the Charlie. And then he goes hunting him throughout the house and he traps him with a, a trap door he's built in the floor and he's in a net. And the mom comes and goes, get, get your grandfather for breakfast and free the dog like you know like as like free the soldier kind of it's just it's a funny and then there's this great line where he brings his grandpa down for breakfast and he says something like um uh uh i successfully captured the enemy even if he is a half-blind diabetic you know and the mom's like that's your elder and the grandpa's like he's telling the truth <laughs> just it's a really funny warming moment and we do get this crazy shift where this is a home invasion movie. Um, it's maybe not as intense as like the strangers or something where everything is just bleak discomfort and, and sort of reality based fear mongering, but it is uh, a thriller where we have these tense moments where bad stuff can happen at any given time. And we're just hoping that it won't again. We also get uh, little snippets of side characters that I like, like um, Thomas's friend, uh, he, he comes, he doesn't believe Santa's real. And then he gets a SOS message through his computer to come help. And he comes and he just gets chased off by the killer. It really just only serves to buy some more time, but it also serves to kind of be one of those hanging threads where I'm like, did the friend just go back home and go back to bed? Like, what? did he, did he call anybody? Probably. Did he do anything? Or did he just, I mean, I guess kudos to him for riding up to the house where there's a crazy Santa Claus in the first place. But I was just wondering, is he ever going to show up again? But no, he doesn't. Um, yeah, so I think we're getting around to where I'm going to go to the recommendations here. And I'll start. Um, 
I was impressed with Deadly Games, uh, Dial Cloak Santa Claus. I really didn't expect this level of polish uh, for this movie. And I do think a lot of people, just looking at the reviews of the release, I don't think a lot of people understood that it was a French film. They probably, in the long, as long as they made themselves engage with the subtitles, though, for long enough, they'll probably forget. It really feels like an American film in all its content and cinematography. It's not until you really get into the nitty gritty of analyzing the, the film and why it does the things just as we are, that it becomes very clear that this is not an American production, um, aside from the language. I totally recommend this movie if you're looking for a weird cult holiday film, uh, if you're looking for a cult holiday thriller. I mean, some of the stuff that we in cult history love are really god-awful crap movies like i'm looking at you jack frost 1997 like if you're thinking that that's going to be your big holiday um i'm going to show this to my friends this is my kind of christmas movie um just just throw it away uh i know i don't like jack frost i'm sorry guys uh but and pick up deadly games um this is dial code santa claus this is kind of the thinking man's weird ass holiday movie uh, it's got beautiful, beautiful cinematography, really excellent cast, um, established uh, actors who know what they're doing and elevate moments that could be goofy under different uh, and with a different cast and a different director uh, and really beautiful set pieces. Um, that said, it's it's a French film. As Tad said, be aware of uh, tone shifts. Nobody's nothing is safe in this movie, really. Um, and don't expect to come out feeling uh, like it's time to open presents. That's really not it. Um, it's it's like, it feels more like um, if you watch Die Hard for a Christmas movie, but you turned it off 15 minutes before the end. Like that's, <laughs> that's more akin to the feeling you'll have after this one. Um, I actually think that uh, um, should pair this movie perhaps uh, with uh, another foreign holiday horror film. Um, look through our catalog. We might have covered some. They're pretty good. Uh, but anyway, so I give this my recommendation, especially if you like sort of 80s movies. Yes, the movie is billed as having come out in 1990 in the US, but it's 100% an 80s film. This is sort of the most 80s movie that we never got in the US, uh, right down to the plastic toys. Um, are there parts that are unbelievable? Yes. Nobody has a sharp uh, cake knife. <laughs> that's literally what a cake knife is not, is sharp. Uh, but that's okay. Uh, watch it. Be aware that the pet gets it. They do get it, unfortunately, kind of early. Uh, so you don't have to suffer through it uh, to, to wait very long. Not as early as John Wick. But, uh, you know, spoiler alert on multiple accounts there. All right, let's go to Tad. Tad, would you recommend Deadly Games, Dial Club, Santa Claus? No, um, and I'm going to be the contrarian of the group. And despite the fact that I agree that this movie was very well directed, fantastically acted, great dialogue, very impressive scenery, very good special effects, cinematography. The, basically, I had a lot to love about this movie. The, uh, the villain, uh, he portrayed a very unhinged sort of, psychopath basically he he did it in a fantastic job um despite what i've heard i thought that the actor who played the kid uh, i can't even i can't even remember his name fantastic acting um, he did a great job 
Uh, but I'm sorry, but pet killing it, like I mentioned, it basically took all the enjoyment I could have possibly had out of the movie. It stopped my ability to kind of just absorb the film. And it just left me in a state where I just, I just needed to drag myself out and finish it. Um, but I am looking forward to the inevitable sequel, which is uh, Deadly Games 2, Ho Ho Holocaust, where they just load the kids on a train and skip the whole thing, because that's probably the trend that this would go. Well, I will say director uh, Alan Lane is the uh, is, is the child actually did a great job. He only acted. This is his last film, I believe, uh, before he went into special effects. Um, but uh, Rene Monzor has made uh, is still directing, uh, working in television, uh, has done quite, quite a bit. I don't know. I don't believe that uh, Manzor has done a Holocaust film, which is actually a little unusual, I, I think, for a French uh, director of this time, but uh, did a ton of fun American series like the Highlander series, the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, <laughs> Red Shoe Diaries. Oh, um, so it, interesting that we've probably seen Manzor's work before, uh, before realizing it. Um, and for this to be a second feature, I feel like it was a pretty strong outing. I can see where uh, a lot of a lot of TV execs would be like, yeah, give him a show. Don't even, we don't need to see anything else. We know we can direct. Just put him in front of the camera for this weird middle episode. Jeff, would you recommend Deadly Games Dial Club Santa Claus? And if so, to who and why? I'm going to do a preamble. So, we, I mean, we all kind of groan a little bit, like, you know, Hollywood's a little cheesy and corny and blah, 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 blah at times. Uh, I'm going to continue with the comparisons here so like home alone is you know like basically villains are cartoon characters uh our our hero is having a good time like he's having fun with it um and it allows us to have fun with it um and so i would say that home alone is an entertaining film and it would shock me that it wasn't if uh, if this had been this movie had been out in time to, you know, before inspire. like the script, yeah, it, it, I can't imagine it didn't inspire. There's so many. Uh, it basically is the same film. Um, I would say Deadly Game is like art. You know, there's no entertainment to be had here. It it's really just, um, you know, can you enjoy the little moments um, throughout this film? Um, and I, I particularly enjoyed kind of like, you know, thinking about Home Alone and how it kind of compared to this throughout the film. So I'd say I'd recommend this to people who, you know, enjoy cinema and, you know, grew up with Home Alone. Because um, I, I think that there's actually a lot of interesting scenes and shots in this film that are that are that are worth taking a gander. Uh, but it is not entertaining <laughs> it's yeah, not that's, going to be fun that's, I, that's fair i, I think, think you i think you st stated it better than i ever could jeff yeah and i think I, I would maybe as you i would swap the word entertaining for fun um but sure. yeah i agree that this is it's it, it's kind of what i've been getting at is what you just said which is the movie is too good to be compared to a lot of the films we consider cult holiday films because it's really well made and well acted and everyone had their own little vision of what was going to be the end product and i think that 
the majority of people probably came out with their part being exactly what they wanted it to be, uh, at least on the cast end. Uh, it's just, it's just one of those movies that um, I don't think you could easily describe to someone um, what it's like to watch because of that tone shift and not just because of the tone shift, but because it's actually both parts are well done. Like the tone for the thriller is a, a successful thriller tone and the tone for the family comedy drama bit is successfully wrought. So um, usually when you have something like that, one is better than the other, or they're both sort of half-assed and it's just like, oh, this movie doesn't know what it wants to be. That's not the case here. I think this is exactly what they wanted it to be. And, and it's just it's just sort of a wild passion project. Um, but check this movie out. It's also got tons of 80s fun bits like um, uh, a giant, you know, field phone wrist walkie talkie that has a video <laughs> camera in it. Um, you know, a wall of computers. Uh, it's sort of, you know, war games meets um, Rambo, B-O-W, you know, uh, just interesting film. I, I'm very, thanks again, Vinegar Syndrome. Uh, can't wait to see what you guys come up with next. That's going to be it for this holiday episode of Colton Classic Podcast. Please write a review wherever you get your podcast. Send us recommendations, requests, questions, hate mail, anything you want to coltonclassicpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, tell your friends. Uh, if you don't know what to get somebody for Christmas, get them a Colton Classic Podcast free subscription. They're totally free. Just steal their phone and, and subscribe. Uh, you can always go to coltonclassicpodcast.com. And uh, if you want to buy a physical gift for someone, uh, Colton Classic has released its first uh, new zine of the year, right at the end of the year. It is a collaboration with us between at Dakota Cartoon called Coco the Clown. And it is got art and humor and disturbingness in fact it's a lot like deadly games in tone so uh, enjoy that and if you like stephen king it's got some funny stephen king jokes in there too so check it out at coltonclassicpodcast.com hope you guys have a great one and to play us out as always is the chud with all about evil Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Colton Classic Podcast. This podcast is important to me, but what's more important are the rights, privileges, and freedom from violence of everyone in this country and in this world. And that means supporting Black Lives Matter. If you'd like to make a donation, please go ahead and visit coltonclassicpodcast.com where we have a list of places you can donate and help out. And please stay safe.